before I get uh, into the sermon, before we have prayer, just, uh, just a quick reminder, if you have a kiddo that is on the fourth floor, uh, our youth group, there is this next Wednesday night at 7 o'clock up on the fourth floor, an opportunity for you and the kiddos and Cody and everyone else to kind of get together, the youth deacons, to get together and talk about what's coming up in the fall and, and after that. And as your minister, I would, I would really recommend that you do that. It is so important that we be involved in what it is that our kids are doing that are developing their faith and helping them to understand what God is all about and to understand that God is love and to understand that Christ has died for our sins and that He has modeled the way for us to live. And that is a life of love. And that we receive the Spirit. And the Spirit is poured into our heart. God's love is poured into our heart through the Spirit. And it is the presence of God's Spirit that testifies that we are His children and that through that Spirit we're able to say, Abba, Father. So it's very important that we are involved in all that our kids are involved in, not just our, our youth group, but our, our children as well, in helping them to understand what the gospel is all about. And that's going to be this next Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, up on the fourth floor, information inside of the bulletin about that. At the end of our messages, as you know, we sing a song. We call that the invitation song. If you're new here uh, and have never heard of an invitation song, it is what it's called. It invites you to make a decision. And it may be that you've been thinking for a long time that you would like to give your life to God, and maybe you don't know how to do that, how to, how to connect to Christ, how to connect to church, how to connect to, 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 uh, to heaven and all of the things that we, we get concerned about. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to stand, we'll sing a song, and down at the front are going to be these fellows we call shepherds. They're the spiritual leaders of our church, and they would love for you to come down and talk with them, and they will pray with you and talk to you about how you can become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Or it might be that, um, that you've been coming for a while and have been struggling with some things in your life. Maybe there are some things that you're struggling with that you just can't seem to get over and beyond and on top of, and you're plagued by it, and you're sick of it, and you just, you just want the prayers of the church. You want the prayers of your shepherds. You want the prayers of, of your brothers and sisters to help you with whatever it is that you're struggling with. And that is also an opportunity, an invitation for you to make that known. You don't have to be super specific. You can just say, I need prayers in my life to get some things right. And there will be people that pray. And if you would like to, to meet with them and counsel with them, they're going to be available to you as well. And with that said, we're going to jump into God's Word. We're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. And we're going to be ending our series that we've been calling Launch. And we're going to pray before we do that. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and join your hearts as we pray to God and ask Him to bless us. Father, You're great. You are so great. And You are love to us. And in all of Your actions, You're a Father to us. And not only are you our creator and our ruler, but you are the father, shepherd of our souls. And we're grateful, Father, that we have been given opportunity to respond in life toward you. As you have responded to us in love, we respond to you in love. And we're grateful to be your children. And as we think about our mission as a church to help other folk understand how they can be blessed with a life in which, Father, you, uh, you, you bring them to places of, of joy and of peace and of gentleness and of kindness and of love that they could never imagine. We ask that you help us to do it in such a way, Father, that it, that it is effective in helping people to understand what the kingdom is all about. 
And so we ask, Father, that you open our eyes and open our ears in such a way that we are changed and in a way that brings glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, David uh, Platt wrote a book some years ago called Radical. And as you can imagine, it's not a very easy book to read. And in it, he talks about, uh, in the 1940s, there was a fellow by the name of William Francis Gibbs that was commissioned to build a troop carrier that was unlike any other troop carrier that had ever been made. It would be able to carry 15,000 soldiers at one time. It would travel at 44 knots, which was roughly about 55 miles an hour. It would be able to go 10,000 miles without having to stop to get fuel. In fact, it could go anywhere in the world and be any place in the world in less than 10 days. But there is an irony here. The irony is, is that she was completely transformed into something different from what she had actually been created to be. The SS United States became a luxury liner. It had 695 staterooms. It had four dining salons. I, what is a dining salon? I mean, you get your hair done while you're having a steak? I don't know. It had four of those. It had three bars. It had two theaters, 19 elevators, and it became the first luxury liner, a big ship in the world that was fully air-conditioned. It became completely the opposite for what it had been commissioned. The SS United States turned into the opposite for which it had been built. Now, we've been in this series called Launch, which is looking at what happens when Christians decide not to merely be a building or to be merely a GPS coordinate on Google Maps or an address, but to exist as a God movement in whatever culture they find themselves. And we've defined it this way. Looking at Scripture, we've defined the church. We've defined Christianity as a movement of, of God-led, go-anywhere, gospel-sharing people who are breaking down the gates of hell wherever and in whomever those gates are found. In other words, the church is a big deal. Will you say that with me? The church is a big deal. Again, the church is a big deal. Again. Again. The church is a big deal. We got that? <laughs> the church is a very big deal. Now, the church gets a lot of bad press, does it not? And some of that rightfully earned. There are times when, you know, we do boneheaded things and, and we get called out on it. But, you know, the church is a unique is a unique organization, organism in the entire world doing what nothing else in the world can do. We are the people who talk about this is what God is like. This, this is why we say God is love. And this is why we say being forgiven, recognizing who we are and being forgiven is such a big deal. So here's my question. Why doesn't everybody in San Antonio go to church? You ever thought about that? Church is a big deal. So why doesn't everybody go to church? One answer is that some folks may have been told accurately and truthfully and lovingly what the gospel is all about, and they've decided that they want to resist it, they want to reject it. Fair enough. But what about the others? Maybe no one has ever invited them. Did I ever tell you the, the, the story of Don Schumann? I, I've, I've probably told you that story before. Uh, my first year here, back in 2001, I'm standing in the back, and I'm actually standing next to Jeff and Jennifer Hosman, and we're standing in the back right over here, and I notice that the fella is serving communion that I've never seen before. 
Turns out it was his first time here, church our size, sometimes a visitor who's never been here before gets to serve communion. Praise God for that, right? And so at the end of the sermon, nobody recognized him, at the end of the sermon he comes down, he sits right down there on that pew right there. And he wants to study the Word of God. And he wants to figure out what it's all about and what, what is this thing called a church. We study that weekend. We study that week. Uh, by the next weekend, he has decided that he wants to be baptized. He becomes a brother in Christ. He comes to, here, uh, comes to church here twice. Uh, th- the reason he even showed up in the first place is because our sign out front said, Come worship with us. He had been invited. So he's baptized. He's here two Sundays. The following week, there were a couple of soldiers. He was in town. He was visiting um, San Antonio. He was getting some training over here at Fort Sam. A couple of uh, uh, soldiers come to our church office and ask to speak to me. They say, hey, we just want you to know that Don was found dead in his apartment this morning. I mean, three weeks after he'd come here for the first time. Sometimes no one ever invites him. Sometimes it's no one has ever gotten them excited about it. You know, the life that that we live as disciples of Jesus in which we get to participate with God shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, you know, face to face with what it is that God is doing in creation. Maybe no one has ever gotten them excited about it. Or maybe no one has illustrated what a beautiful life we have been called to live looks like. Or maybe no one has ever explained what this word gospel means. But the worst thing that can happen to any village or town or city where there is a community of faith is for that community of faith to lose its sense of purpose and mission. As we said last week, we're not a church with a mission. We are a mission that's been given a church. And that's Matthew chapter 9. So I say again, this church is a big deal. Say that to your neighbor. (laughs) I love the enthusiasm on this side. Now, you folk over here, I, you know, not that it's a competition. I've had enough competition for one weekend. Man, do we need to start a Longhorn support group or what? And by tomorrow morning, we may want to add the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. But this, <laughs> this, is a, this church is huge in this community. Why we exist, our purpose, why because the God-led, go-everywhere, God, gospel-sharing people are tearing down the gates of hell wherever and whomever they are found to God's glory and according to God's will. You know what's happening? Sheep, remember Jesus in Matthew 9 last week, is looking at people, they're harassed, they're helpless, they're dispirited, some of them are depressed, they're, some of them are diseased, they're hungry, they're, they're directionless, and he says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Because of this, this church, there are people in this community, sheep without a shepherd, that are getting a shepherd. Those which are lost are now being found. Those who are blind now see. The brokenhearted are being mended and healed. People that are enslaved to all kinds of terrible things. And I don't have to enumerate those, do I? But people who are enslaved to all kinds of terrible things are being liberated and finding freedom. Is it a wonderful thing or not, church, that sins can be forgiven once and for all, that your guilt can be removed, that your consciences can be cleared and you can sleep at night. Is that important? That there are relationships that are being repaired. There are marriages that are being restored. 
families being put back together. Confusion is being replaced with wisdom. And guess what? On top of that, the cherry on top is that life with God is being restored. That's what it means to be a church. And that is what the first century church as a movement was doing all along. It was about good words and it was about good works. And when Jesus began his ministry, as you know, we've talked about this over and over, over the last couple of months, he did a couple of things. He healed people whose minds and bodies had been captured by disease or something even worse. And he explained what the kingdom of God on earth was all about. And he challenged people to believe it with all of their hearts. And he called people to repent and to change their lives. And it was good words, teaching, explanation, along with good works. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus has called this church because it's a big deal still to do the exact same thing. And so when the church began in Acts chapter 2, it began with an explanation that God is not absent but present, that he's not aloof but near, and that Jesus is his answer to the problem of fallen creation and evil. And after he ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost rolls around, the apostles continue the ministry of Jesus of good works and good words. Where they healed, they spoke of that healing as a part of the larger work of the kingdom of God in the lives of human beings. In fact, they talked so much about it that they got in trouble with the high priest and, and the religious leaders of Judaism in, in the book of Acts. In fact, at one point in Acts chapter 5, after the church is growing and growing and growing because the gospel is being preached and preached and preached and people are being healed and healed and healed, they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. In other words, everybody in this city, Jerusalem, understands what it is, or at least has had the chance to understand and believe what it is you're saying about the Christ. And then a couple of verses later, day after day after day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house. So they're in the temple courts, but they're not just staying in the temple courts. They're going from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news, teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You know what it was like? You know, suppose that um, you discovered the antidote, the remedy, the, the cure for every terrible disease in the world, and it was just a little pill. What would you do once you discovered that this pill, you take this pill, all of the diseases, all, every, every sick person, every diseased person, all the kids, all the, you know, that are so in, you know, uh, uh, corrupted by disease and, and sickness and illness could just take this pill and be healed, what would you do? Put it in a safe and never tell anybody about it? Or would you go door to door? Would you go from store to store? Would you go from place to place? Would you go from town to town, city to city? Would you go all over the world and say, listen, there is a way out from under every disease, every illness, every piece of cruelty, whatever it is that has entered your body, there is a way out, and all it is is this pill. To not tell people about that pill with excitement, knowing the healing that's coming to them, would that make us Christian or would that make us cruel? Same thing with the gospel. And the question is, how do we publicly... 
knowing that Jesus is the answer to the fallenness and the evil that is found in the world, how do we publicly share the gospel in a culture that would rather us keep it to ourselves? Well, this takes us to 1 Corinthians 15. It, that passage is extremely helpful for us. And a lot of times we're very, very good at doing the good works. In fact, again, this next Saturday night, we have the opportunity to really bless some folks with, with love and with generosity and with gentleness and with joy and with peace and with acceptance and embrace and all those kinds of things this next Saturday night. We're good. We're so good at being able to, to extend God's love to other people and, and, to, and to help them, but we also need to be able to say the words. We need to be able to say the words that form the core of the, the, the message of the gospel. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what, which Demetrius read just a couple of minutes ago, is going to help us to do. And I'm going to give you four words. I'm going to give you four words. And around these four words, I want you to build your ability to tell the people in your world, the world that you interact with on a daily basis, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And those words are Christ died, raised, raised. Try to make it rhyme. Christ died, raised, raised. Let's say that together. Christ died, raised, raised. You just said the four words of the gospel. Let's start with the first one, Christ. That's, that's the incarnation. That in love, God sent His Son to planet Earth, His creation, in order to save it. That's the most popular verse in all of the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. In fact, we all know this one, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life we know that it's about the christ here's the thing about the gospel every other religion in the world is going to tell you about teachings there's uh you know the five pillars of islam there's the eight uh, fold path of buddhism you do these things you do these 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 teachings and and you get there that's not what gospel is all about gospel is actually a very ancient word it is a word that meant there was this history uh, changing event that took place and so when we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about teaching. We're talking about an event that changed everything. And it began with God, the incarnation. It, became, uh, it, it started when God became a man and lived among us. He lived in the flesh and blood. He lived with every temptation that we ever lived with, yet without sin. And He came not because he was compelled to do it. He did not come because he was forced to do it or he was enlisted to do it. He came because in love, that was what we needed. And so what we talk about is here is a God who has come in person to be with us. And what is one of the big reasons that he came? Well, he died. Christ died. That's about the crucifixion. I think we need to make a t-shirt that says human beings are broken. Uh, Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's men, all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That is kind of the story of humanity. We've been trying to put ourselves together. We've been looking at other sources to try to put us back together, and it's never going to happen. Sin is how we have ruined the world and ourselves. And sometimes people say, well, I'm not all that bad. I'm, I'm not all that bad. I've never hurt anyone intentionally. 
I always respond to that and say, well, did you hear what you just said? What you just said when you said, I've never hurt anyone intentionally, that means that you can hurt people without even thinking about it. We have 8.5 billion people in the world. Just think, if no one is hurting anybody intentionally, just think about the damage that's being done unintentionally. And on top of that, think about justice. We are broken. We're broken. I mean, not only do we know that something's going to hurt us, but we're going to do it anyway with the knowledge that's going to hurt us. But think about the justice. We shudder at the thought of a world without justice. A universe without justice. We want everything that is wrong to be made right. We want there to be justice. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus came. Tim Keller would say it this way, sin is you substituting yourself for God, and salvation is God substituting himself for you. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he is taking, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he is taking all of your sin, all of your iniquity, every transgression, everything that you did intentionally or unintentionally, he is taking it on himself and paying the price for your guilt. But it doesn't stop there. We go from Christ to died to raised. We're talking about the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. You know, everything that Jesus said is up in the air until the resurrection. Everything he taught about the kingdom of God is up in the air until the resurrection. When the resurrection takes place and he shows himself having conquered death, having, having said that he is going to die for our sins, on the third day he's going to be resurrected. Everything in the world changed at that point. People would still die, but they would not die eternally. The resurrection changed everything. Death as an enemy, and everything on the other side of, 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 of death being the greatest enemy, everything below that has been defeated. The universe becomes a perfectly safe place to live. And after Christ and the death and the resurrection, it, we're graced. Everything that I've just described to you and told you about Christ and the death, his death, burial, and resurrection is, is a gift. It's a gift that you just accept. That, that you participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through faith in being baptized and sins being washed away, of repenting and saying, I'm aligning my life up with God. And three times at the end of that passage, he says, you know, by grace, I am what I am. And it's by grace that there has been this God effect in my life and the grace of God is with me. There is this, this transformation that takes place when, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you're not just saying, okay, I've been forgiven. Now I've just gritted out until I find myself in heaven. I don't need Jesus in the meantime, but I'll recognize him at the end and I'm going to be glad that I have him. That is not Christianity. Christianity is about living a life that, as a disciple that looks like Christ and being transformed into the image of Christ and walking like Christ for the rest of your life. You become a person of love. You become the person you were always meant to be. You know, in all of these relationships that, that get jammed up because of the way that we are in our fallen state, they have a chance to be restored not only because of God's presence, but God's presence in you. And you become a person of love and of gentleness and kindness and all those things that are described by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. All of that is a gift to you. It's a gift. It's a gift that God is granting you in, in you know, life with Him from there on out. We have worded our mission statement this way. Matthew chapter 
28 and Matthew chapter 22. As we, this, this mission that our church is a part of is about loving God. And it's about loving people and it's about changing the world. And these, these three phrases describe our hope of seeing San Antonio transformed into a city where Christ is present in every home and in every class, in every workplace, in every relationship. Jesus changes everyone and everything. And just think of what it means when one person, just one person in a workplace becomes a disciple of Christ. It changes the way we approach our job, the way we write emails, how we relate to our colleagues in the office. Just think what it means when a father or a mother of young children become a disciple of Jesus. There are generations of that family that might be transformed through the experience of unconditional love and the absence of shame and the abundance of joy and direction and significance in that unconditional love. Just think what it means when a teacher in an elementary school becomes a disciple of Jesus and demonstrates to these little kids patience and acceptance and kindness in the classroom and generations of kids are being affected by one follower of Jesus. Church, I'm here to tell you, God loves this city and everyone in it. And He has not climbed up into His heavenly treehouse and pulled up the rope behind Him and closed the trap door. But He has placed churches, His churches, around the world, brimming with people who have experienced His grace and His love, and that is true in our city of San Antonio. Our church, our church family, our fellowship, our church family, and others like it are a sign that God is up to something in this city. We are a movement of God-led, go-everywhere, gospel-sharing people who are breaking down the gates of hell wherever and in whomever they are found. Amen? Let's stand and sing.